Hi, everyone. I'm Cindy Mooring, the founder and executive chair of the Business Integrity Leadership Initiative at the Sam M. Walton College of Business. And this is The Biz, the Business Integrity School podcast. Here, we talk about applying ethics, integrity, and courageous leadership in business, education, and most importantly, your life today. I've had nearly 30 years of real world experience as a senior executive. So if you're looking for practical tips from a business pro who's been there, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome, let's get started. Season four of the Business Integrity School is sponsored by J.B. Hunt Transport Services, Inc. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Biz, The Business Integrity School. And we are in season four talking about all things ESG. And I am very, very excited today to welcome Anthony from ISS and Kevin, who's an advisor for ISS and also is a professor at uh, University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee and an adjunct professor at IE Business School. Hi to both of you. Thanks for having us, Cindy. Thanks for having us. You're very welcome. So before we jump into this super exciting conversation, let me just tell you a little bit about Anthony and a little bit about Kevin and a little bit about ISS, and then we will jump right into all of the questions. So now Anthony is the managing director of at ISS ESG, and he heads the integrated financial and impact team. And uh, at ISS, Anthony is responsible for EVA, which some of you may wonder what that is. We're going to talk a lot about that today. It's a really cool concept called economic value added. And uh, he manages responsibilities for EVA and fixed income ESG ratings, bespoke ESG solutions, and municipal ESG ratings and global thought leadership. That's a lot, but all in the (laughs) ESG context. Kevin is a senior advisor to ISS. As I mentioned, he's also a director and senior lecturer at the University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee and an adjunct professor at IE Business School. Uh, Kevin is sometimes referred to by his students and others as coach. So if you hear Anthony or I lapse into coach, we're really talking about Kevin. He has nearly 30 years of experience in investments and nearly 20 years in teaching. So thank you both for being here today. This is going to be a great conversation. Yeah, really excited. Thanks, Cindy. Welcome. I can't wait to share the research. Yeah, some really, really exciting research has has come out from your work, Kevin, and is just instrumentally beneficial, I think, to ISS and to the whole kind of ESG um, ecosystem and particularly investors who are trying to figure that out. But so before we jump into the questions for audience members who may not really know um, who ISS is, uh, that stands for Institutional Shareholder Services, and they really um, help clients uh, make informed investment decisions. They have over approximately 3,100 clients and includes many of the world's leading institutions investors. And they rely on ISS's objective and impartial offerings as well as public companies that are focused on ESG and, and governance risk mitigation. So you really have you as your universe of who you're speaking to with your research and, and what ISS does, a view toward investors and particularly institutional investors, but also companies who know that they're being evaluated. Is that a fair way to say it? Yeah, totally fair. Yeah. Okay. So let's just spend a minute and let the audience get to know both of you a little bit better. Um, 
Anthony, why don't we start with you? Can you just tell us how you got into this very interesting sphere, I think, of advising investors and advising them about ESG? Yeah, yeah, I kind of took the indirect route. Um, so my background is actually in engineering. So I have an undergraduate degree in environmental and civil engineering. And prior to joining the world of finance, I was a practicing engineer. So I'm lead certified, I have my EIT, um, but got into finance through investment banking and then kind of took a career path along those lines that started in financial statement analysis and building upon kind of a foundational knowledge of the way the balance sheet, income statement and statement of cash flows work, um, started to apply that to a more practical view of how ESG can be involved in that ESG F mentality. Um, so uh, EVA, Economic Value Added, was acquired. Our company was acquired in 2018 by ISS. And kind of since then, it's been uh, kind of jump on the, the, the rocket ship that is ESG and continue to build out our capabilities. So it's been a, a wonderful journey and really excited not only on where we came from to where we are now, but where we're going in the future as well. Yeah, I love that engineering background. You're not the first guest in this series, this season of the of the video podcast series that have had engineering in their background and then applied it in the kind of the ESG space in interesting ways. That's that's cool. So Kevin, what about you? You're an advisor to ISS. You're you're an adjunct professor. You do all kinds of research with IE Business School. Wow, that's a lot on your plate. Tell us a little bit about how you got into this. Let me comment on the engineering thing. So first of all, I've had a lot of engineers as students. They're problem solvers. And really investments is just problems. So I started as an analyst and then managed a, a portfolios and then managed analysts. Um, and I was always curious about, you know, what makes a great investment, what makes a, a good company. And I got into teaching. I just love kind of making a difference in the world and teaching was natural extension of that. And then I got interested in ESG because, of course, you're doing good for the world. And when I found there is a link, at least apparently, between ESG and good companies and good investments, that just made me all more excited to do this research. Yeah, that and that's what we're going to really be focusing on today is this really exciting, and I agree with you, an exciting link that shows not only is ESG good for the world, but it's actually, we can show with some research, really good for companies too, right? I mean, it just makes, it makes sense in terms of an investment. I think that's a really big step forward, and it kind of leads me into my next question for both of you, which is, I think I'm going to know your answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> Do you get the sense that ESG is kind of here to stay now for, for a while? It was, you know, kind of over here on the sidelines and it was, you know, maybe good for the world, but I'm not so sure that everyone thought it was kind of center stage the way it feels like it is more to me. I mean, Anthony, you just described it as a, like a rocket ship. Do you guys both really think it's here to stay? Um, is it not maybe just the flavor of the month? Yeah, it's a great question. And one that our clients kind of talk about often is, you know, is this material and how does it carry its materiality going forward? Um, and when we think about, you know, where our clients sit globally, the answer to that question can be a little bit different. Right? We kind of think about Europe as a very mature and developed ESG market, whereas parts of North America are more kind of fast followers, still in startup mode. And then thinking more broadly in Asia Pacific, you really do have a startup type mentality where, you know, there is voting in proxy, but E and S is a little bit less prevalent. So yeah, our, our view fundamentally is, and you know, as part of ISS ESG, uh, ESG is here to stay and it should become more and more a part of that front office discussion as it uh, matures in its kind of um, position in that front office buy sell hold decision-making process. Interesting. Kevin? So I would like to share, to answer this question, I'd like to share my screen and just show you a little bit of, of research associated sure. with this. Um, 
So let me let me do that. And um, and I know some of you are just listening. So don't worry, we will, Kevin's going to do a great job of describing what is on this slide. So if you're listening to this in the podcast version, as opposed to the video, we'll walk you through it. Kevin, go ahead. So the last few years, interest in E and S have really increased. G, the governance point, and we've had uh, studies and linkages between good governance and um, good shareholder returns. This is basically aligning management with shareholders. This has been associated with good returns, good firms for some time. It's really just the last couple of years that E and S have been becoming really important. And there's been huge growth in assets associated with this, either people adopting ESG screens or new funds focused on ESG. Um, what I'm showing here on the screen is the correlation between E, S, and G and shareholder returns. And what you can see with the red line, since 2018, it's going up, which means returns become more correlated with the environmental aspect. The blue line has been going up since 2019. Now, governance, you know, uh, markets are not correlated with every factor, but governance is still kind of a neutral. And with profitability, the metric we're going to use is EBA margin has been important as well. So there's obviously this has been impacting returns, but what has happened over the last, let's say, couple of years? I think there's really five things. And it's, you know, it's almost like there was a tipping point and then everybody got interested. You know, first is environmental concerns. Um, you know, is this to stay? Well, I don't think the environmental concerns are going away. Um, and given that there's real economic consequences, uh, corporations, consumers, and governments are taking notice. Second is, is the younger generation. Younger generation um, kind of grew up post the financial um, crisis. And they delevered over that period of time. And I think as they delevered, they stopped focused as much on goods and they started focuses on experiences. And experiences are you know, things to do with you know, the social well-being and things like that. So that's second. Third is just recent events. Um, we've had all kinds of events associated with either um, income disparity or racial inequity, gender inequities, and other issues like that happening. This year we had, that's um, employees as part of the S. This year we have huge supply chain problems, supplier relations as part of the S. The um, consumer focus is part of the S too. And some of the best performing stocks are consumer focused, you know, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google. Um, so we've had recent events that are really um, brought up interest. So number four, you know, we now have studies, we have data. Um, it wasn't until maybe the last 10 years we had good ESG data. We had good G data, but not until the last 10 years we had good E and S. And now we see the linkages and it's not showing that it's bad for shareholders being good to the world. And the last, and I think this is actually quite important, is over the last 20, 30 years, um, there's been a shift in how what's, what's important on the assets to corporations. So on this slide, what I'm showing you is intangibles. Intangibles are uh, things like R&D and promotions and intangibles have been growing as a percent of assets. Gap intangibles, which are on the balance sheet, 
are about 35% of assets. And as you can see in the chart on the left, it's been growing. EBA intangibles, um, which is where we capitalize R&D and promotion expenses are about 8% of capital. So 43% of capital approximately is not property, plant, equipment, tangible. And how do you make sure those intangibles have a benefit? Well, the people who are creating intangibles are people. And those people are employees and they work with consumers. Um, on the right-hand graphs, I show the correlation between good governance and EVA intangibles as a percent of capital, good social and the correlations um, with EVA intangibles and environmental. They generally are correlated across all the different sectors. So there's something to, at least apparently, good ESG and investments in tangibles and, and tangibles are becoming a much larger proportion of assets. So, you know, ISS has been known for years as uh, sort of weighing in on their view of governance for a company. And so perhaps that is why you see that waning a bit, the environmental, you know, with all the, the issues we're having lately with, uh, you know, all of the uh, just extreme weather events is, is one example of, you know, kind of what's happening. And then with the social justice issues that have arisen lately, it does seem like, you know, the environmental and social issues are kind of rising in importance and in investors' minds and consumer minds and, and employees' minds and everybody's minds, right? So when did ISS uh, sort of figure out that they needed to be paying a little more attention to the E and the S uh, um, and bring that into the fore, if you will, as much as governance. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. You know, the, the foundational core of ISS is the G, right? The governance voting and proxy business is what ISS has been known so well for, for, you know, the better part of two, tech, two decades. Um, and, you know, recently the ESG part of ISS has continued to grow and, and grow quite rapidly. Um, we acquired ERCOM Research, a Munich-based research house um, in 2018. And with that, you know, nearly doubled the size of our ESG staff. And that really positioned ISS ESG as, as an independent, ESG ratings house, and, and that allows us to stand on that foundational knowledge that goes back well over two decades at ERCOM, the key staff and kind of team members that, that joined ISS through that acquisition to focus on the ES and the G. So we had this, you know, core G competency expertise now that we've married with the ENS from, uh, from the ERCOM business. Um, as we've brought that together, right, that's been a, a wonderful process, tons of growth, a lot of um, kind of the ability to innovate our offerings across, you know, all pillars of, of ESG, and now bringing in the F approach as well, um, you know, selfishly on the EVA side, uh, has really allowed us to position, you know, our research part and parcel with, uh, with other competitors in the space and partnering with our clients to understand how ESG has become part of their investment decision-making process and the types of, of pieces of information, data, and insights that they need to, uh, to kind of effectively integrate it have mm -hmm. been, you know, front of mind for us for, uh, for the last three years. So, you know, right. it, it really has been, um, you know, it, it was a tipping point then. It seems like every single year we continue to find more and more clients and, um, you know, prospects that are interested in bringing ESG into their process. So it's something that we, we continue to see strong demand and appetite from, from the buy side, from asset owners, from asset managers to, uh, to integrate ESG as part of their process. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, you have you you, you have rated now through this kind of EVA lens um, over twenty one thousand companies. Is that right? 
Yeah, so the, the EVA coverage universe is a little bit north of 21,000 firms. It's all market caps, all regions. Um, and really over the last three years, as a part of ISS, we've expanded that from about 15,000 up to that 21,000 figure now. Um, a lot of the expansion that we're doing is in frontier and emerging markets, as well as kind of small and micro cap, but that's driven by investor demand. So we continue to work with our clients to understand where they're finding opportunities in the market and how we can be an additive tool that, uh, that they use, we being ISS ESG. Yeah. So Kevin, you've got a really interesting slide up now about ISS's ESG approach. Do you want to walk us through that and, and explain that a little bit? Well, Anthony did a great job just um, describing, you know, uh, ISS's investment in ESG. There's only one thing I'd probably add to what he said is you know, we're looking at, you know, 800 indicators. 90% of them are industry specific. And we even weight ESG dependent upon the industry. Um, so uh, ISS is, has a very deep uh, knowledge of these companies they're covering. Yeah, I think that is a key point, and I'm really glad you pulled that out because two things are important about that. One, it's 90% industry specific, and a lot of these other kind of measurements or rating agencies, it's it's I don't think it's nearly that deep and not that specific. And then you also have different. The second thing is they're separate and different weights for the E and the S and the G. So you can actually look at that individually and then look at it all together too. So that's uh, it is a difference, as the slide says. It's very yeah. holistic. Yeah, so we, we fashion the ESG business very much as a glass box, not a black box, in that we want to give complete transparency to our clients to understand how we're getting to these corporate ratings for, for each individual company. So for every firm that we cover, you get an ESG score. Um, and those scores are absolute. So they bring comparability across um, you know, different industries, different sectors, and different regions, so that you can look across your entire portfolio and not worry about you know, some of the greenwashing effect that we've seen in the news recently. Yeah. It allows us to be... You know, very transparent in all of our ratings and all of our indicators as well. So that 90% sector specific means when you're looking at a consumer staples firm next to a healthcare firm, next to a technology firm, the key indicators for each of those three companies are going to be different. And right. our analysts in their qualitative assessment of these firms are using those different different indicators across that, that, that analysis. So it does separate us from our competition and, and kind of our peers in this space. And it's something that we kind of stand on the foundation of, uh, of our research. Yeah, and and I think you've got something like what over four hundred, over four hundred and fifty analysts that are working on all this now. Yeah, so we have a little over four hundred and fifty professionals across the ESG business, um, and and that's comprised uh, fourteen different locations, you know, uh, in the Americas, in EMEA, and in Asia Pacific. So it's a a growing and robust team. Yeah, that's that's really exciting. Okay, so let's move from that sort of talking about ESG and what's measured into now talking about EVA and EVA margin. And how is that even useful when you're evaluating performance? What is it and how is it useful? Yeah, so EVA, economic value added. Um, what it does is it solves for the distortions that exist inside as reported financial statements. And it allows for investors to make more informed decisions about the true economic earnings of a business as opposed to the accounting profits of a business. Mm. So as we define EVA, it's sales less operating costs, less capital costs. So EVA is fully loaded for all sources and uses of capital. And then again, it allows you, the investor, to say you're providing the capital to companies. You want to understand what your fair rate of return is on that capital that you're providing. So it gives us that, gives us that cleaned up and comparable view of economic profitability. 
Um, so when we bring that into you know the analysis uh, part of part of any equation, we say EVA margin is one of the key fundamental measures that we're looking at. The way that we define EVA margin is total dollars of EVA divided by sales. And again, because EVA is fully loaded for all sources and uses of capital, when EVA margin is above zero, it means that a firm is earning above its cost of capital. So all things equal, we want to see EVA margin above zero and rising through time, right? Developing an economic moat. Um, and by analyzing companies through this consistent and comparable framework, it does allow us to look across, again, all regions, all sectors to say an apples to apples comparison of, you know, a FedEx versus a UPS versus a Johnson & Johnson versus a, you know, Tata Motors. All yeah. of those companies through the EVA lens can be comparable because we're treating every dollar of capital with that same economic profit lens. So it allows you to really look objectively at, at the true earnings and profitability of a company. Wow. That's, that's pretty cool. That is actually very, very interesting. And I think it's very comprehensive. And to your point, it really exemplifies why it's a glass box, if you will, right? Instead of a, a black box. I mean, it's completely transparent in terms of measuring even across industries, but on a consistent basis. So that is... Um, that's pretty interesting. So Kevin, tell us what you've got up here on the slide. Okay, I'm only gonna add one thing to what Anthony said so well, is you know, EVA is economic, it's not accounting. And as a result, um, if you create EVA, you're basically earning more profits than investors require, and that should make them happy. So the value of a business is just the capital that's employed plus the value of the EVA. So this gets to an equation of what creates value. And it's probably be, you know, why, if ESG is associated with EVA, why these companies outperform. Yeah, so it's outperforming on the basis of, is, it, is the company truly adding value in an economic sense, right? Yeah, which Absolutely. is a very, very different lens. Do you, do you, do you have, um, let's talk for a minute, Anthony, about uh, any hurdles in trying to explain this concept to your, uh, <laughs> to your customers, because that is very different, right? Than the way they have certainly looked at and, and rated, I would say, companies in the past. So how are you getting them to warmed up to this new model and how's that, how's that going? Yeah, so EVA, it's not new. It's just maybe fallen a little bit out of favor. Um, so the, the origin of EVA goes back to Stern Stewart Consulting, which is a management consulting firm founded by Joel Stern and Bennett Stewart um, back in the uh, late 80s, early, early 90s. And when they created and quite literally wrote the book on EVA, uh, it was a wonderfully new metric that was, again, fully loaded for cost of capital, allowing companies to understand where their net new investment was going and if they were earning true returns on those investments. Um, then the dot-com bubble happened and people stopped caring about profitability and started caring about eyeballs and clicks and subscribers, kind of these non-tangible measures of, of growth or profitability. Um, and with that, kind of EVA kind of fell out of favor. Um, we mm -hmm. certainly believe in, and have resurrected the brand, so to speak. Um, but yeah, when we talk to clients, we want to give them the tools to understand what EVA is trying to measure and how they can mm -hmm. use it. So when thinking about early stage growth companies, right, early profitability or pre-profitability, EVA is going to be a hard measure and it's a hard look. So thinking about how to value those companies is not going to be cash flow basis. It's not going to be EVA basis. It's not going to be an earnings basis. It's going to be some projected version of what the company can do in the future. And that's something that right, we acknowledge, we hide in plain sight and say, if you want to follow EVA blindly, we probably wouldn't recommend that and more using our framework as a discipline, not a dogma. 
Um, and, and with that transparency, so I mentioned, you know, glass box, not black box. We actually have a presentation that we call 10K to EVA that takes a widgeted company and just shows our clients and, and prospects the adjustments that we make to clean up for the accounting distortions. Uh, um, and we even perfect. have a kind of EVA 101 where we go through a lemonade stand. So we just distill it down to a very simple operating model to understand why EVA is different and what distortions exist inside the financial statements that are so material in understanding the value that a firm is creating through time. Wow, that's, that's pretty cool. Cindy, can I add something to this? Yeah, please. I'm guessing your listeners have heard of a person by the name of Warren Buffett, correct? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. All right. So if you look at his approach, he buys companies with good return on capital. Those companies will be generating a lot of notepad. Those companies that he buys, he owns forever. He buys companies with sustained competitive advantages, which means they have low risk. These companies he buys have EVA. One of the companies he's owned longest is Coca-Cola. And I understand the CEO of Coca-Cola went to a Stern Stewart management presentation in the 1980s, okay? Um, after that presentation, the Coca-Cola CEO changed kind of their business model. He was the first billionaire CEO through his compensation. This is something that works. I think, you know, making the comment about Warren Buffett and a lot of people screen for these companies with good return on capital. Um, this is actually quite in style. Yeah. And it's consistently probably what they're doing. <laughs> That's really interesting. So, yeah. And Warren Buffett is one to, one to watch, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. He's been amazing, just amazing. So Kevin, let's, let me ask you another question. Why is rising ESG associated with rising profitability? So great question. Let me show you the data. A rising ESG is associated with rising profitability and growth. On the right-hand side, I have a series of charts. In the left-hand column, I divide um, our companies into high ESG growth, which are the ones, mm -hmm. to low ESG growth, which are the fives. Okay. The top left graph is showing you that the companies with a rising ESG tend to have high EVA margin or this economic value added that Anthony was talking about. And the ones that are fives, the lowest ESG tend to be the ones that are less profitable. I'm going to next um, chart down. This is just all kinds of growth rates. So the ones which are high ESG companies tend to have higher growth in sales, the blue, um, higher growth in capital, which is the gold, um, higher um, growth in EVA, which is the black. So you tend to have higher growth associated with the high ESG versus the five, so lowest ESG. And do investors take notice? Absolutely. The bottom graph on the left shows you that the valuation multiples or how much we're valuing the businesses as a percent of the sales or earnings all tend to be higher for the companies with high ESG to ones and the fives. Now the right hand series of graphs shows the same thing, but this time with ESG level. And what you're seeing on these graphs is generally level of ESG does not seem to be positively related to you know, growth and margins, but these companies still outperform, which kind of left me with a quandary when I was looking at the data, why are they outperforming? So I'll go right. to the next slide. Right. 
So in the net, what we see is that these companies with high ESG, the ones, tend to pay more dividend, have a higher dividend yield, invest more in capital to grow, invest more in R&D, which could result in this intangibles. They also tend to be larger companies based on market value and assets and sales. Now, if EVA matters and if ESG matters, um, then it should make sense that these things are related to shareholder returns. So on the next slide, we'll just this top graph. What I did is I sorted companies into high ESG and low ESG and also high EVA margin and low EVA margin. Starting at the beginning of 2014, if we had a dollar and we invested in high ESG companies and high EVA margin companies, that dollar would have grown to about two. Where the low ESG and low EVA margin companies, low profitability companies, the dollar would have grown to a dollar 42. The returns are almost double over that short period of time by investing in good ESG and good EVA margin companies. Um, this is the data. It's, it's, this is not made up. This is the, the world. <laughs> <laughs> so what, why do you think that is? The data is fabulous, by the way, to support it. I mean, the, the, the business case is there. That's the better investment. What, what's your sense of why? Well, let, let's first talk about why this may be just an aberration. And then we'll talk about why I think, you know, good ESG may be related to these good things. Uh -huh. So first of all, there's people that just say the data, the time period's short. It doesn't, you know, it could be just random. Uh, other people would say that, well, and maybe that companies with really high levels of profitability can invest in ESG initiatives. So it's not really that good ESG is resulting in these good things. It's just that, they're larger, they're more profitable, and they're correlated with high ESG because they can invest in it. So those are reasons that people who don't believe in this, um, uh, their arguments. So let's look at the other arguments. Why could this be sustainable? ESG be sustainable and lasting? Well, if you treat your employees right, which is part of the S in ESG, um, doesn't it make sense that they're going to work harder, be more productive? There's going to be lower turnover. Basically, it's going to increase their productivity, lower their costs, maybe generate more revenues. Let's look at treating consumers right. If you treat the consumer right, um, there'll be repeat business. To attract new consumers takes a lot of money. Right. So you increase revenue, you consume right, you reduce costs. How about the environment? Well, if you're bad to the environment, first of all, there's a lot of management distractions and regulation, but it could also be demoralizing to employees. Um, and obviously that uh, can feed through to lower revenues and higher costs. And the last on the G, aligning shareholders with management for the long term just seems to make a lot of sense. So I think there's a relationship between ESG and these profitability and returns, and it, it makes sense it could continue. And it could be a little bit of both. If they get to be higher profit profits um, from ESG, then they have more money to invest in ESG initiatives. And that would be a great world to live in. And it's the one I'm hoping for. Yeah. Well, it seems to me that it is a lot about um, showing that you've created holistically trust 
for all of your stakeholders. They can, they can trust you holistically as a company to, to get, bring them a good return. Right. But also be doing, doing business and doing it the right way in a way that, and we talked about earlier in this podcast already, how that, that matters, um, particularly to the younger generation. So Anthony, a lot of the, the, uh, the approach here is um, qualitative. Uh, you got a number of different d- data points. I get it, but a lot of it is, uh, is qualitative information in terms of how it is evaluated. So how do you determine what indicators to really use for your corporation's ratings? Yeah, we, I mean, it's, it's an exhaustive process and, you know, we mentioned before there's somewhere between seven and 800 total indicators that are being um, called into the, the, um, you know, uh, individual company analyses. Um, but internally, we have a methodology review board. Um, so we meet on a monthly basis to make sure that as sustainability reporting continues to evolve, we're staying current on the statutory regulatory side, right? As SASB has continued to work on their alignment, as the PRI comes out with new standards and, and kind of regulatory pressure, um, we make sure that as companies continue to tell us more about ESG, we're taking that information in and using it as part of our analysis. Um, I think something that's really unique about part of our approach is we actually score companies, we, get, we call it a transparency score. So the amount of information that they provide that we then use during our process. So, you know, you get a percentage ranking and it doesn't necessarily mean that you can, you know, if you're more transparent, you get a higher score. It's just a measure of trying to understand how much information companies are giving to, you know, the public, to the investment community um, right. on, an, on an ongoing basis. And that what, what's really encouraging is that score continues to rise um, through time, which is just, you know, more companies are telling us more things more often, um, good or bad. And we hope they're more good than bad or at least moving in the right direction towards good. Um, but as long as you can measure something, right? It's Peter Drucker, what right. gets measured gets managed. Um, yeah. what, me- what, you know, measure what matters is I think what's more important. Um, we've started to see ENS metrics creep into executive compensation. So we now know that ESG is coming into the boardroom, that it's being considered as part of, instead of just TSR or earnings growth or you know, other metrics, you know, EBITDA, things like that. Um, you start to see health and safety, health uh, staff retention, uh, corporate social responsibility, diversity and inclusion as yeah. metrics that are now part of executive comp. And that's something that you know, incentives dictate behavior. And that's something that we're, we're really encouraged to continue to see going forward. So it, what you just described, you, 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 you mentioned that you've seen it creep into executive comp. Would you say that's one of the kind of unique uh, insights and aha moments that came about because of, of the qualitative type of review that you all do? Yeah, very much, very much so. So core to that governance pillar, um, uh, you know, we call it the ABCs of corporate governance. We want to understand compensation. And, you know, one of the things that we have expertise in is analyzing the DEF-14A. So management's proxy and understanding what they're being paid on. Um, So bringing those core competencies of ISS broadly into our ESG analysis is something that is unique. And, you know, you get those eureka moments of seeing, right, how many new ENS metrics have been put into exec comp plans, both in short-term and long-term. What's their waiting, what's the total notional, and just that that threshold going higher and higher continues to encourage uh, the alignment of management with the alignment of shareholders with the alignment of the better good. Uh, and, you know, once you see it hitting executive comp, I'd say that's that's a pretty good indicator that yeah. um, that something's here to stay, right? <laughs> so that's that's a really great insight. Very good aha moment. 
Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. And before I let the two of you go, I, I want to ask one last question. Are there any good resources that you can think of? Any maybe documentaries you've watched or a great book that you've read or a great um, uh, video podcast episode or series you've listened to that the audience might find instructive if they want to go a little deeper uh, into this topic of, of ESG? All right. So I'll, I'll take this first. Uh, first of all, I read constantly. So it's hard sometimes to remember the resources. And I think constantly. I have long, right? Um, I've been um, quite interested in the S and ESG. Um, part of the reason is, you know, all the you know, social unrest and various other things that, that have been happening. But also my doctorate degree is in behavioral finance. So it's understanding, you know, why people make the decisions they make. Mm-hmm. And how that goes with the S is that part of the S is diversity, diverse ideas. Yes. Um, if you have more diverse ideas, you may identify your risks earlier. Now, my history is as a portfolio manager, and I thought one of the key aspects of being successful as a fund manager is to understand risk. Diversity could also result in, you know, better choices of investments um, for a corporation. As far as one thing that I have been reading, and I said at the start of this, I'm really interested in what makes a good investment, good companies. Um, There's a a blog, it's by a friend of mine in Australia by the name of John Garrett. It's called the Investment Masters Blog. And all he does on this blog, and you get maybe a publication once a month, maybe a little bit more, he writes on the absolute best companies. And something I've seen when he writes on the companies, they all focus on employees, their customers. He also looks at the best investment managers. And these investment managers often invest in intangibles. So it kind of takes me back to, you know, where I started, you know, what, what was my interest in ESG? Yeah. It's basically learning what makes a great investment in a great business. And it mm-hmm. seems to be ESG and investments are somehow linked. Yeah, well, that is a great resource. Thank you. I will add that to my list. Uh, Anthony, I'd what have about to say, you? Yeah, one one of the earliest books that really sparked my interest was Conscious Capitalism. Um, just a great, and and that was kind of before the ESG wave. Um, a great holistic look at the way being a good and conscious capitalist can improve returns through time, um, and just kind of what Coach said that that great companies can be great stewards of capital and great stewards to the, to, to our planet and to our to our um, you know peers. Uh, in terms of academic resources, I mean, there is so much out there. It's kind of drinking from a fire hose, but yes. uh, Professor George Serafin does wonderful work at, uh, you know, through Harvard, um, Professor Aaron Yoon um, through, uh, through Northwestern, and both of them have, have published a, a few papers recently um, around financial materiality, around uh, SASB materiality. So those are, are great resources just to just build a fin- uh, foundational knowledge on the uh, ESG side. And then, you know, uh, right, you see it more and more often, you know, above the fold in the Wall Street Journal and the Financial yeah. Times and the Economist. Um, so it's, it's, it's creeping into the, the lexicon of uh, the financial journalist world as well. So it, uh, it, it's something that you'll be able to see more and more often to, to keep your knowledge up. Yeah, I think you're right. How, how uh, heartwarming it must be and purposeful it must feel to have 
read a book that kind of sparked your interest, yeah. conscious capitalism, and then to kind of see it play out, you know, before your eyes, complemented by this incredibly great research that that Kevin's been able to to add to the whole sort of you know portfolio of of available resources that prove the point. So this has been a fabulous conversation, very instructive, very informative, lots of wisdom, lots of advice, lots of just really great information. Thank you both so very, very much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. No, thank you so much for having us, Cindy. Um, you know, part of our goal as, as ISS ESG is to spread the word of our work and hopefully yeah. inform more and more investors, whether they be early stage students who are thinking about getting into uh, yeah. you know, a career in finance. We're yeah. happy to answer questions. Um, so please feel free to reach out to Coach and I uh, via LinkedIn uh, or direct emails. We're, we're really happy to follow up with any questions. That's great. Well, thank you. This was a lot of fun. Thank you very much for inviting us. You're very welcome. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, Cindy. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Biz, The Business Integrity School. You can find us on YouTube, Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. And you can find us by searching The Biz. That's one word, T-H-E-B-I-S, which stands for The Business Integrity School. Tune in next time for more practical tips from a pro.